Welcome to this month's edition of the Balancing Act podcast with Singer Lee Wack. We appreciate you tuning in. In this episode, we have SL Business Informatics lead partner, Bob Green, and cyber lead advisor, Eric Rockwell, sharing their insights on cybersecurity and the pragmatic approach for business owners and C-suite executives. This episode follows up on a previous episode where Bob discussed the topic with Claire Rosso, CEO of ISC2, which is the global leader in professional cybersecurity education and certifications. Stay tuned to discover the significance of a cybersecurity program and how to implement it correctly in your business. Hi, I'm Bob Green. Thank you for listening to what is my fourth podcast of the spring. I'm the founder of SL Business Informatics, which is a practice group here at Singer Lewak. And I've been leading our IT strategy-focused Balancing Act podcasts for these past few months, seeking to help leaders with the problems and the challenges that they face around things like system strategy, digital transformation, ERP projects, cybersecurity, and some other areas. As a follow-up to our last podcast, where we featured a good friend of mine and also the global cyber certification champion, Claire Rosso. She's the CEO of an organization called ISC2. I wanted to get a more pragmatic discussion going for our listeners on this particular and particularly imposing topic, actually, which is cyber. How come? Because we are emphatic that C-suite and business owners and key management members that are in growing businesses don't typically priority, prior, excuse me, prioritize cyber defenses often pushing the spend into the technology, but not really uh, into the behavioral processes needed to effectively manage cyber. Cyber is best governed by corporate governors, which if that's you, we're talking directly to you, it really shouldn't just be IT. And it's an ongoing process. It's not purchase of IT solutions to check the boxes. To set the scene for today, you're the owner or a member of your business's leadership team. Your hands are full with plenty of responsibilities. Among them, Risk management, which for most leaders is not the most rewarding, nor is it the one that you want to tackle when you get in first thing in the morning usually. But risk management is tantamount to becoming successful and staying successful in an organizational environment that we operate in. We're seeking to help you with governance practices around cybersecurity without becoming systems and technology experts. The fact is, it's common for growing businesses to be reactive about this growing risk, almost waiting for something bad to happen, assuming IT is handled you know, everything that you need and that it's just good enough. You already know the stories of losses and damage that result when a business's information is compromised. So I'm not going to be here to scare you today, nor is our our extremely talented guest. However, let's go down the path on how to start tackling the risks of cyber. This may lead to more podcasts to help you through this process, or of course, you can retain our help to be your cyber guides. We've got cybersecurity certified professionals on on our team, and they deal and coach with clients executives every day on this topic. But I'm here today with one of them. Uh, He's our lead cybersecurity advisor, Eric Rockwell. Eric's got great credentials, starting with becoming a CISSP, and has since become quite a frequent author, speaker, and leader in the cybersecurity space. You see, he's very serious about tackling and managing cybersecurity risks, but he and we recognize it. Frankly, you have to start somewhere if you've not yet developed a cybersecurity program. So we're here to help and talk about that today. Eric, I wanted to welcome you and just say thank you for joining me today on this podcast. Thank you, Bob. It's great to be here. Yep. Um, I thought we could just dive in with some questions for everybody to, to kind of walk through with us and we'll have a little fun. So, Eric, you know, pretend pretend I'm a client. And um, when I've been asked the question of whether my company has a cybersecurity program in place, I'd say, no, 
no, but but you know we have an IT director who takes care of our security. I assume it's all covered. So so why do I need a program? What's this program mean? So I'll get out of that role play and say, you know, that's common, isn't it, Eric? But but what do you, what do you say? Why is there a need for a cybersecurity program? And really, what is it? Maybe you could describe yeah. a little bit of that. I mean, that's all too common, unfortunately. A lot of business executives just assume that IT was taking care of security or is taking care of information security. That may have been true to an extent 20 years ago. That was back when all of the organization's information was housed at one or two central locations that they controlled. Over the past 10 years, organizations have been adopting cloud technology, and most of the Companies that I assess don't even know where all of their information is stored and didn't know what systems different business units were using. What we need to do is make sure that the organization has management of information security, and it's not just in the IT wheelhouse. It's in a separate wheelhouse altogether. You know, I think it's good points. And I I think I'm going to go back to something that we've talked about before in front of a group of people. And it was a good topic to remind people of, you know, cyber is really related to digital uh, assets and digital information, right? And I think the concept of information security and cybersecurity can can be a little bit different. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on what the difference is? That might be helpful, too. Yeah, cybersecurity is a subset of information security. And information security pertains to information in both tangible and digital forms. A lot of organizations have file cabinets full of sensitive data. It could be client work product. It could be copies of financial records. It could be HR records. It could be work instructions. When printed, that's information security. Digitally, it's still information security, but cybersecurity is that subset of of digital information. The same type of data, but electronic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think we think about People, when they go through a process, and I know we're going to talk more about what a program and a process mean around cyber, but, you know, you have to kind of look and think about what the digital assets of an organization are and then assess things against that. So I know we'll jump into that in a minute. Exactly. But but here's a question. I think there's something that came up in my first question that comes up a lot from people, which is, you know, they they read about that, you know, as an organization, uh, the executive realizes, you know, I think we need a cybersecurity program or sometimes, as I said in my role play, maybe they don't even know what that is. Wanna, do you want to maybe touch on what the cybersecurity program kind of means or, or what the elements are of that? Yeah, I mean, the core elements are establishing an information security management committee comprised of members of senior leadership and system owners throughout the organization, whoever is accountable for the business systems, not IT, but the people that made the decision to use one system versus another. They're the ones who own the information in that system. That committee needs to understand what sort of risks and vulnerabilities could lead to information getting breached. It could be an internal threat actor. It could be an external threat actor. It could be someone that's not acting maliciously. They just didn't know any better. And it may or may not be through malware that's on a laptop or desktop in the organization. Cloud systems inherently have remote access, and we frequently find that systems are available remotely from anywhere in the world when they don't actually need to be. So the committee has to determine policy. For example, is there anything required other than just a password to log into a system remotely? Mm -hmm. What countries should they be allowed to work from? If they don't have an office in North Korea, then you shouldn't be able to access the system remotely from North Korea. Much less North Dakota, right, in theory. Exactly. (laughs) Right, I would think. So in in a sense, and to paraphrase, then it sounds like cybersecurity programs are truly that. It's it's essentially a 
a bit of activity. It's a bit of leadership and governance. It's a bit of documentation. It's a bit of um, um, execution of strategy, right? And it, it sounds like this is more of a management responsibility. Um, I know, I know that's what we covered, right? Okay, so you know, again, I, if the audience that we're speaking to today is typically in the in the leadership uh, role in a company, um, and they recognize that they've got some digital assets that are going to need to be safeguarded, uh, no matter where they are, and, and no matter how they're being addressed or or used. You know, let's let's get them down the path a little bit, right? So how how would they start uh, execution on a cybersecurity program? What what would be the first step? Well, the first step is to perform a risk assessment, and that's a process of understanding the probability that information could be exploited. We want to know if uh, a threat actor could break in remotely. We want to know if the information can be leaked, maybe unintentionally, by a user. We want to know if the information can be modified in a way that can't be recovered. But that that risk assessment process can't start until we have a complete inventory of all of the business systems. So mm-hmm. I would say that 99% of the time when we perform a risk assessment, it's the first time the organization has performed a risk assessment. And IT doesn't actually know what business systems are entirely in use. That's why we have to get all of the stakeholders and department heads together to document what systems they use so that the risk assessment can be complete and holistic. And then we look at what internal controls are in place on all of the business systems individually. So it's interesting, you know, cyber is an area that I I, I guess this is a bit of a passion for me in that, you know, I guess perhaps because I'm part of a CPA firm and I am a CPA, it makes me think this way. Right. But I, I kind of like that there's there's a regulatory, uh, you know, uh, body or at least there's some promulgated guidance from professional societies that say, hey, there's some, there's there's a couple ways to do this, and there's there's not just one, and you don't really want to go off the off the rails and go do it some way that really no one's ever done before, perhaps, or just because you happen to know X but don't know why, you just do X. So, can you share on cyber? You know, when you go through a risk assessment, that it's not so much willy-nilly, right? You're following certain promulgated guidelines, and and maybe you could touch base a little bit on that. That's right. When we perform a risk assessment, we select an internal control framework, something that's developed by the National Institute of Standards and Technology or the International Standards Organization, not something that uh, we just kind of made up on a Saturday one day based on our experience. <laughs> exactly. And, and some of the controls may not be applicable. Some could be ac- applicable on all systems, but looking at those internal controls and understanding how they operate helps us calculate the probability that a threat actor could take advantage of a vulnerability. So, so for example, I'm going I'm to pick up on two things. One is that it sounds like a cybersecurity risk assessment would be different uh, in terms of some outcome as well as what's being addressed at each given company. So there's no like boilerplate. It's always the same, correct? That's exactly right. Okay. And then the other piece of this is, you know, so we go through this risk assessment, we compare some of these challenges that people have. Do we end up with a a bit of a gap uh, assessment there at the same time that says, hey, look, you know, on a relative basis compared to the framework, there's some findings we have for you. And and I know we've done this, but can you elaborate a little bit on what that process feels like and, and what the purpose of that assessment and the gap is? Exactly. By looking at internal controls, we inherently discover gaps. For example, If the control framework says that all remote access must require secure authentication, that means that remote access uh, must require complex passwords. They need to be longer than uh, passwords that are easily crackable, like eight characters or less. And it means that the user needs to have something with them other than just a password to log in. 
like a multi-factor authentication device or token, a one-time passcode that gets texted. And it means that the authentication mm -hmm. needs to be limited to the geographies that people actually work remotely from. So knowing that's a control, we look at all of the different business systems that we've mapped out. We test that control. We see if it's operational on all of the different identity management systems that authenticate access. If it's not, let's say the organization has 50 different systems. Maybe it's in place on the ERP and email, but it's not in place on remote file sharing or VPNs or other remote access systems. Mm -hmm. Now we've identified gaps and we can take a look at the probability that a threat actor could exploit it in a number of different ways, looking at how frequently that type of cloud provider gets breached when secure authentication is not required, and looking at the logs to see if there are intrusion attempts. If we see evidence of intrusion attempts, that means somebody's actively trying to break into it, and it's just a matter of time before they they break in. Mm -hmm. So let's keep going down this path because I, I like this, and we're we're kind of developing AdLib here, a, a bit of a cybersecurity program over time, right? So right. we've assessed our risk, we've assessed it against certain promulgated guidance, we've determined that you know our organization has some challenges here. We've got to remediate some things, right? So I, I assume we go into remediation phase. Uh, we meaning if it's us and the client, or we instruct the client what to do, or you know whether we're involved at all. Someone's got to kind of take care of fixing what's not there. So what what happens during that process typically of, of remediation? Well, the first thing that happens is that the organization forms that information security management committee if it doesn't already exist. Once the InfoSec committee uh, is formed, then the InfoSec committee has to determine some basic policy. Once the policies are determined, we know what the rules are, like requiring secure authentication on all remote access. We have to identify the control owners so we know who's accountable for implementing the controls. We have to know how to test them so that we can prove that they're operational. And then we report that back to the committee, showing that the maybe they, they had X amount of controls implemented originally. Here were the gaps. Here was the risk level. And these controls went from operating at a high risk to a low risk. Got it. So people mature along the way as they implement these and execute these, uh, these gap remediations, correct? We do, but this is a never-ending process because vulnerabilities can show up in a business system overnight because a supplier like Microsoft or Oracle does an update and, and that update's vulnerable or a new business system is introduced or a business system is taken out of service and nobody told the committee or IT about it. Yeah. Or they're integrating with some external tool set that they didn't even realize presented a, exactly. a risk of compromise, right? That's, we've seen that a number exactly. of times. Exactly. Yeah. No, they, yeah. And I think, I think again, I don't want to overshadow what you just said. I think it's really important to bring up that, that this is an ongoing process. Um, it doesn't just start with a risk assessment and end with remediation. And then, you know, you could put it to bed, say goodnight and put it in a drawer. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that, so this committee has been formed, the remediation happens, right? So it's kind of going down this path. Um, yep. this, and remediation takes some time. And as you said, and I, I totally get this, that as things change in the systems environment and a company, which typically happens pretty frequently anyway, the more complex you are, the remediation continues and the addressing of the control structure uh, has to be applied to those things. But where do, where do we go from there? So is there ongoing responsibility for management and IT to check in with each other and follow up on things? Is there a plan? How does that work? Yeah, so the committee has to determine how frequently they meet, but at a minimum, the committee needs to meet quarter quarterly to look at the organization's security maturity level. That's a zero to five metric that shows how many of the internal controls from a framework are implemented and operational and measured, how many of the controls and the policies are operational and measured. 
what po- uh, what controls are not operational, perform a risk assessment so that the committee knows what the probability and impact of a threat actor exploiting a vulnerability is on one of the business systems, whether they're internal or external, review incidents that occurred in the in the quarter so that the committee can learn from them and make risk mitigation decisions or choose to accept risks like something happening again because it was a low impact. The committee also needs to make sure that policies are kept current, review the business system inventory and update it. Uh, because maybe some of the business systems change like we talked about, and have an understanding of threats, such as threat actors attacking different systems, indicators of attack. Uh, That way we can make proactive decisions about lowering the probability that a threat actor can can break in or making changes so that the threat actor can see that their attacks are uh, just going into a black hole. And usually they'll move on and attack a weaker target. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You know, I think about the things you just said, and, and I'd like to emphasize several things, right? There's the issue of, you know, IT and the IT organization, of course, they vary in maturity and capability and acumen, right, in every organization yep. we've seen. But, you know, in a general sense, the IT organization should always be involved in this. And they're going to be supporting and providing evidence and other sorts of things to the committee. And the committee, of course, is comprised of, as you said, you know, members of management that have the oversight responsibility for, for data of the organization period. Exactly. But right. But I, I think that it's interesting. You know, uh, you know, we we've been very strong advocates to say this is not an IT project, right? Because it, it's not. And yet, you know, the listener, when I at the very beginning I'm saying, hey, you know, you're in the leadership seats of an organization, you're not really the IT person. You know, what you're describing here today, and I, I know this process well as well, it, it this is not an easy process. It's not something that happens overnight. And it's not something that's a whole lot of fun always because you have to have regular meetings and follow up and sometimes the news isn't always so great. So you know, how are you finding, uh, you know, people in terms of their commitment to sticking on this? Or in, in, in our experience, and maybe you could share, where, how does management, you know, stay involved? You know, are, and do we see waning interest? Uh, you know, what are some of the ways that really have kept interest uh, live and interesting for, the, for the, the leadership of a company as opposed to this getting stale and rubber stampy? I mean, there's nothing like seeing indicators of attack. So uh, in, you know, in an organization that has 10 to 50 business systems, that are remotely accessible. We're going to see different types of attacks. The threat landscape will change. The attack vectors will change over time. So there's always something to do. And as an organization matures, what's interesting is that we see the number of external attacks go down and we see the number of internal risks increase. We have to develop a culture of security awareness and security first in an organization. It doesn't mean that we want to make it run like a military facility. We want to make sure that everybody understands where to store sensitive information, how to transmit and share it in a secure way, how to identify potential security incidents and report them. And we want everyone to be situationally aware. So every time they're working on something, logging into something, replying to an email, potentially be an attack vector, and they think twice about sending sensitive information or logging into something over the web that was a link in an email or something like that, the culture of security awareness is ongoing and takes takes time to build and mature. And a lot of times the committee will stay out of the day-to-day tactical work. A lot of times they'll form a subcommittee that is in charge of more tactical risk management. And that would be comprised of an internal champion from the committee, the head of IT, and a team of security professionals that are monitoring and responding to security events, identifying new vulnerabilities in business systems, 
and mitigating risks along the way. Mm-hmm. That was so helpful. I think without, uh, I know we're kind of approaching the timeline of, a, of our podcast, so I'm, I'm going to maybe bring up one last point, and I think it's really vital. You know, I talked to Claire uh, Rosso, as I mentioned, um, in the last podcast, and she was talking about the tremendous shortage in people like yourself and CI, you know, CISSPs and the like that are true cybersecurity technical professionals. And the concern out there is that there's such a need, like it's several million shortfall in the world today. And right. The, right. And so, you know, they're saying, hey, we're going to go out and we'd like, you know, not everybody can be an Eric. Right. So so we need people to be able to help with cybersecurity management within companies. And you just hit it on the head. And this is kind of a message I'm trying to get leadership to understand in, in our clients which is not just a CISSP who can run around telling you, not just these concepts you've shared so eloquently today, but other people can certainly remind people of their responsibility to, you know, to handle their email appropriately and how to make sure that they're sending information appropriately between, you know, user communities or sharing information between uh, software applications. You don't necessarily need right. CISSPs to, to tell people how to do that or even remind them how to do it. So it's almost like a managerial uh, collaboration with uh, with with really strong cyber folks as well as IT personnel. I mean, that's an environment that works. Yes, best, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and business leaders. And uh, to your point about there being a shortage of information security professionals, there definitely is. That's only going to continue. That number has been increasing year over year, especially after COVID introduced remote access to most of the workforce. So, the model that we created at SLBI Cybersecurity is really to uh, take a team of cybersecurity professionals and divide them between a large number of companies. You don't necessarily need a full-time security officer when you have less than 5,000 employees, but you need someone filling that role. You need someone that can make the important decisions, and you need a team of professionals looking at risks and threats and implementing controls and managing controls along the way. And that time can be divided between multiple companies. That's that's how we've really addressed the issue with the shortage. Yeah, and and, and obviously this thing's this kind of a concept scales, right? So I, I know exactly. we've got clients that are you know just a very small handful of people in a in a small nonprofit. It's as applicable to them as it is to other clients of ours that have you know tens and hundreds of people. Um, exactly. You're right. You know they don't need a full time CSO, you know, a VCSO either. And it's the VCSO actually makes some sense in this case. Um, yep. So anyway, thank you, Eric. I know we're going to wrap it up in a second, but I, I, I was going to ask, uh, you know, how comfortable you are. I'd like to say, let's do another one of these, but I'd like to focus a little more on some of the cybersecurity uh, uh, management tactics you can take to combat the topic you brought up at the end, which is that internal risk of threats right. by internal actors. I, I think that sounds like a good one. I agree. Good, good. All right. Well, we'll do that next unless Eric uh, circumvents me and has a better topic next time. But <laughs> Sounds good, Bob. Um, Eric, is there anything else you want to share before I give a quick uh, sign-off? No, Bob, thank you very much for having me on today. Yeah, always fun when presenting with you, and um, and thank you, Eric, for joining us. It, very insightful. Um, you know, our information uh, about uh, Singularly Wack Business Informatics as well as our cyber practices in the podcast notes. And please reach out to me again. My name is Bob Green. This has also been with Eric Rockwell. Um, feel free to ask for a deeper dive on this topic or let us know if you want to talk to us about helping you out. So thank you very much. And uh, again, we appreciate it at uh, Singly Whack that we have the Balancing Act podcast to share with you. And certainly we're open for ideas and suggestions from any listener about uh, other topics you'd like to hear about. So thank you again and have a great, uh, a great rest of your day. Thank you for joining us for our latest episode of the Balancing Act podcast with Singerly Wack where we bring you engaging conversations with industry experts, thought leaders, and successful entrepreneurs who share their experience, insights, and practical advice.
A new episode is released every second Thursday of the month. So don't forget to subscribe or follow us on LinkedIn to stay up to date. Thank you for listening. And we hope to have you back for our next episode. Mm -hmm.